22 years ago. That was the last time we were all in the same room. Wow. Boy, Lynn, looking at you, it just looks like yesterday. <laughs> it's because I got a lot of filters on. <laughs> Welcome to the Cocktail Conversations. I'm Michelle Mitchell, and we've got something special for you, an election special. As you know, we are focused on the value gap this season, but the entire series is grounded in being the antithesis of the anger industrial complex. And what greater challenge to that than this? It's going to be a fun week. I know it's possible to move forward together because I lived it back when I was on Capitol Hill with some other up-and-comers. So I threw a reunion and I sent them some Relic Supermoon Chardonnay. You know, I'll be honest, I'm not usually a California white wine person. This is really good. (laughs) I'm really happy with this. That's Lynn Marquis. We used to work down the hall from one another when she was with a Democratic congressman from Oklahoma. Lynn is now an advocate for biomedical research in Washington, D.C. It's been a year. It's been a year. A lot of gray hairs. I'm going to keep drinking. The wine is great, but the bottles are really small. That's Bob Mahar, who worked on Capitol Hill for three different Republican congressmen from Florida. He's now an executive for a sailing company in Fort Lauderdale. I'm just glad that we are not national ground zero again for this election. I think Uh, you are. I think you are. I think you are. Pennsylvania, not us. It's just going to be insane. That's Robert George, who used to work for Newt Gingrich when he was Speaker of the House, among others. He's now with Bloomberg News. Let's just say I'm not as much of an expert at opening up a wine bottle as Gene. I'll take Robert Shipman, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's Gene Stafford. She spent seven years as Rudy Giuliani's finance director when he was mayor. She's now a communications consultant in New York City. I I, I will literally say to somebody, how are you? And someone will come up to me with this, this, this. I'm like, ah! So I'm like that crazy person at the end of Animal House. (laughs) In in Chicago, they talk about the Chicago Alzheimer's. You forget everything but the grudges. (laughs) That's Chicago Tribune columnist and Pulitzer Prize winner Clarence Page. The first time I ever had a glass of wine with Clarence, he ordered White Zinfandel, and I was like... Oh, I knew this was coming. White Zinfandel sucks, and I will die on that hill. Clarence and I met at the MTV Ball in 1996, and honestly, I have no idea how I got invited to that. I actually might have crashed it, because that's what we all did. A lot. John uh, Boehner used to throw some real oh, parties. Oh, those parties. Oh, my those goodness. Those parties. With Merlot. Lynn, I th- were you with me at this party where we did keg hits with John Kasich? <laughs> I drove him to a Rolling Stones concert. Look, I've covered many elections, and if I'm going to do an election special, then it actually has to be special. I always say I came of age when I worked in Washington, D.C. These are the guys I came of age with, who I also wrote about in my first book. Look what I have in my hands. (laughs) All right. How cool I am. I also have the yellow. You have the galley. All right, let's get to it. What happened and what do we do about it? Clarence kicked it off with a memory about a Republican leader and a Democratic chairman. When I arrived back in 92, I was astounded by how civil people were. I came from Chicago. I remember when Bob Michael and and Dan Rostenkowski used to carpool back and forth between Illinois and Washington. You don't hear about that happening anymore. And I see Orrin Hatch playing tennis after work with Teddy Kennedy. Washington got things done because people didn't fight all the time. 
They knew how to get together after work uh, and during work. But the incentives to work together began to dry up. When you could start gerrymandering your districts by computer, that could virtually guarantee you a, 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 a return to office. Uh, it made too many safe seats. Another thing was fundraising. You could do that by the internet. When Fox News and MSNBC came along, enhancing the ability of an incumbent or a candidate to build their own base, build their own audience. What's the incentive now for the parties to work together? Gene, you're refilling your glass already. I read on LinkedIn about that moment that Diane Feinstein went up and hugged Lindsey Graham at the end of the hearings. Yeah. She was pilloried yeah. for that, yes. Seriously, there's a pandemic going around. She should not have hugged him. Well, that part is true. <laughs> the point of the article was that this reminded of why anybody gets involved, what these people have in common. You know, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan enjoying drinks. This knowledge that a lot of people in service at that level do communicate with each other like that. And people didn't even read the article. They just, it was like one anti this after another LinkedIn. You expect a caustic conversation on Twitter and Facebook can kind of go either way, but LinkedIn <laughs> was always for professionals. So you, you, you might put a post up there, a resume, look for a job, maybe somebody will reach out to you for a job, things like that. The fact that it leads to all this vitriol, there's no sense that uh, this is LinkedIn, this is a professional space and maybe I should slow my roll a bit. That really does show that it's something that's within us there are no barriers anymore. I think it's because of, of social media that we have the rhetoric and it's easy to be, can I swear on this? It's easy to be Fuck an yeah. asshole when, the, you're, uh... when you're writing, you know, <laughs> when you're sitting behind a computer as opposed to when you're looking at somebody and, and arguing facts and, and data and information and just, you know, talking to one another. You can walk away from it and still be friends. But when you have a computer and you can say anything you want, it causes disruption. This is not to say that there wasn't plenty of in-person disruption pre-internet. I witnessed a particularly infamous incident where a staffer threw a drink in the face of a journalist who went on to become someone you've definitely heard about. But she did pay for his dry cleaning. And as Lynn pointed out, this wasn't limited to Republican Democrat. I started on Capitol Hill working for Bill when Gephardt was the majority leader. And boy, howdy, were we ostracized from our own Democratic Party. Mm. I mean, we were not invited into Democratic meetings. I remember going to a party and somebody from Gephardt's staff started yelling at me. And I thought, well, this isn't fun. So I had the privilege of hearing a statement over and over and over again from the moment I became finance director for Rudy Giuliani. And that was, is he insane? I don't know if all of you remember, but this man, the first Republican mayor, within months of his victory, endorsed Mario Cuomo for governor. My phone started ringing. He's insane. He's insane. I had people screaming at me, and I had hate mail. A Northwestern University study came out last week about different kinds of polarization. Effective polarization is how much people of one party dislike those of the opposite party. And over the last 60 years, that's gotten worse. Now, ideological polarization is how far apart people of each party are on issues. And actually, that's remained stable. So many of us hate each other more than ever before, but we don't disagree with each other any more than we ever have. One theory why? Social media. We tend to only see what we already agree with and the worst, most distorted version of the opposite side. The social media algorithm amplifies the extremes. 
we've got to this point with the, the heated rhetoric in 2020, and we've always heard this cliche of, this is the most important election ever. But now people really believe it. The left feels that if Trump gets another term, it means the end of the civilization. And if Biden wins, the socialist hordes with all of their pronouns are going to de destroy civilization. Each side sees the other as an existential threat. Robert Newt Gingrich had his list of uh, power words. Yeah, he did identify specific words, how you can brand your opponent. Uh, I don't know whether he started it, but I think he has a certain amount of responsibility for perfecting it. The idea of portraying your opponent as more evil than just misguided that was definitely something that came out of the Gingrich School of Politics. That's entertainment. That's marketing. I, I bet you could get a producer from the Survivor show and, and, and they'd have the same lessons. You want to have tribes and you want to make sure that you make them look bad. Not You don't have to mean it. Let's just talk about it because it plays really well on TV. Oh, and Bob, you know who the creator of Survivor was, right? Mark Burnett, who then went on to help co-create The Apprentice. So boom. <laughs> there you go. Do you think we've been rewarding bad behavior? Um, yes. I mean, <laughs> Clarence, you were on the McLaughlin group. John got the idea for a TV show where you have a, a group of old friends who, who get together every Sunday at some coffee shop and they argue politics among themselves. They get almost down to fisticuffs, but at, at the end they say, that was fun. See you next Sunday. And, <laughs> exactly right. And that's really what makes the show work, that camaraderie that, that you can come with, with different political views and you can argue like crazy, but still leave as friends. The best part of that that needs to come back is when yeah. it was the intro when the voiceover was going on and you yeah. saw everyone sitting around talking, laughing, and enjoying themselves before getting right back into it. That, that little thing is an, an incredible element that I think a lot of these shows miss when they try to do a, another shouting show. All these people around the country contacting me and other folks saying, hey, we really miss your show. Are you guys gonna be back on? And I said, McLaughlin's not with us anymore. And said, <laughs> it might be easier to watch without him always interrupting. And <laughs> But Clarence, one of the problems that we have, and I, I know I'm not the first person to, to make this observation, but sometimes the media, is just reflecting what's within our hearts and minds. The McLaughlin Group used to be this place where you could have very, very strong opinions and you could kind of really go right at it. But you realize the person you were disagreeing with, you, you were disagreeing with their ideas. You were friends right. with them and you were disagreeing with their ideas and you'd go back and forth. In the current culture, people see each other's ideas not just as wrong, but as evil. And yes. It is very, very difficult to compromise on political issues because if you feel that the other person isn't just wrong or has just a different opinion, but is absolutely evil, why would you want to compromise with evil? When Robert said this, it was my aha moment. This is where the anger industrial complex, the marketing, the media, the algorithms, the rhetoric has led us. And if we think the other side is evil, how do we get out of that? It's humans, it's individuals, it's each of us that have the power. We repeat what we read, we share what we see, we comment on what we see. And so what are we sharing? What are we repeating? What are we commenting on? We're the media. I think we've had a few years of very divisive and crazy, unpredictable tweets 
regardless of your party, you need to be able to recognize and acknowledge that. Jean's message of it starts with us resonates with me. There's more of that we're the same than, than what separates us. And I think smart political people that really want to get things done know this. It's great to listen to opposing voices and the people who think they're certain. The, the mistake comes when you meet certainty and bile with the same. It's an obligation on reasonable people to try and talk the other guy off the ledge. And that's not always going to happen. But as soon as you start doing that, the reasonable person that disagrees with you is going to find a kindred spirit. And suddenly you've got something to talk about. Don't take it personal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how about one, one year from now? Let's do this again. How about one week from now? We can go, what the heck was that? No, I mean, wine, Michelle. Oh, Robert, oh, yeah. have I ever done a project without you? No. Yeah, you weren't in the film about rape as an international war crime. But well, I, I appreciate that, actually. Be safe out there, kids. And remember, statistically speaking, we have more in common than we don't. You can find out more about Relic Chardonnay on Instagram at The Cocktail Conversations and on our website, thecocktailconversations.com. You can also find out more about our guests and who made this episode on our website. Want more conversation? Join the club, the Old Pal Club. That's where your tax-deductible contribution gets you private access to special interviews, extras, events, and more. You can become an Old Pal via our website and Instagram.